I've got thoughts uh, from the SMU game about the offense and how they're playing well but still leaving points on the board. Um, we'll talk about some guys that transferred in and maybe haven't lived up to expectations yet or coaching staff isn't using them properly. We'll, we'll talk about that. And West Virginia coming to town this weekend. All that and more coming up next. Locked on Horn Frogs. It's your team every day. You are Locked on Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's right, your team every day. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. I subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also find us wherever it is you get podcasts in its audio form. I want to talk about the offense and specifically the offensive line here. I haven't done a great job the last few days of getting to some of the audience reaction, the comments on YouTube or uh, emails that people have sent me. And so I'm going to do a, like a more robust segment on tomorrow's show. I know I have like emails from Greg. I have comments that I haven't responded to. Um, I try to, you know, be meticulous about either talking about it on the show or responding directly uh, wherever it is that I get it. But um I'll do a more robust segment tomorrow. I do want to talk about the offense, though, and a few things that people have brought up following the SMU game. So TCU wins 34-17 against the Mustangs to get West Virginia this week. They've won three in a row. And, again, like I was I was happy with the performance. I thought overall TCU controlled that football game. Um, once they went up like 14-3, to it was 14-10 to halftime. But the game never felt out of hand. It never felt like SMU was – really threatening to take the lead, except maybe for that that stretch there late in the second quarter where they scored and TCU couldn't uh, capitalize or couldn't respond with a score, and then they had the ball right before halftime. But all that being said, like, end up winning the game by 17 points and feeling good about, um, you know, where they were at the end of it. And I talked about this after the game and, and my postgame show. You know, my, my biggest gripe about the offense right now is just uh, – struggling to convert in the red zone, situational things. And it's not only the offense. I mean, I thought the fake I thought the fake field goal call was strange. Um, I mean, that, that's something you bust out maybe two to three times a season, some sort of special teams trickeration. Uh, and I thought it was weird that in that moment they decided to go with that play. It obviously didn't work. Jody Sandy was stumbling as he took the snap, and then he just kind of threw it up for grabs. Um, and then going forward on fourth and four when they were in field goal range, I also thought it was kind of curious. But I get wanting to kind of put the dagger in the game and, and score a late touchdown to fully put that game away. But somebody commented on uh, on YouTube after that SMU game. It was Matt Clark. He said, got to give the, a little credit to the hurry up offense. It seemed like the first time it actually helped and didn't hurt their overall production. So I've talked about the pace of this team a lot this year. You know, in the offseason – I discussed sort of the murmurs that we had heard out of fall camp that they were going at just a lightning fast pace. You know, it's going to be really surprising to teams. Um, that advantage hasn't really materialized as much as I thought it would. Uh, but yeah, I think they played well against SMU. I mean, you know, you look at the final stats and they were fantastic. Um, Chandler was 23 32, 261 yards and three touchdowns. Monty Bailey had 25 carries for 126 yards. And so they did a good job. Now, there, there's still some things, some ingredients to a great offense I think this team's missing. Um, they spread the ball around a lot. They don't seem to have just one guy at the receiver position that they're focused on getting the ball to. 
Um, there's not, there hasn't been a lot of explosive plays. Like I think the intermediate passing game has been really good, um, but they haven't pushed the ball down the field a ton. We saw that more against Houston. You know, had that uh, touchdown pass to Warren Thompson and Savion Williams, but then Savion was kind of non-existent in the SMU game and the vertical passing game was as well. But I mean, they moved the chains, and I think this group moves the ball in between the twenties really well. It's it's honestly just the details and the situational things. Um, that have been plaguing them so far. And my, my main complaint about the pace of the offense is really just in the context of like they'll sometimes they'll have a big play. And this is tip, this is not just a TCU thing. This is typical of most teams that run uh, tempo consistently. But you get a big play down the field and then you immediately, you know, get to the line and run a play. And like I've said before, I understand the logic behind it. You want to get the defense on their heels. You want to catch them in a situation where they can't even really get lined up correctly. Uh, but usually what they do in those scenarios is they just run like a simple halfback dive play or an inside zone run, um, and it doesn't feel like it's it's popping for big plays. It's typically like, you know, a one- or two-yard gain. And so um, I don't I don't understand the point. Like I get what, the, what they're trying to accomplish with it, but – maybe take a breath, take a second, find the right matchup, find the right play call, and then continue to capitalize on the momentum of the drive. But I think the, you know, the pace of the offense aside, um, they have to get better at instead of taking three points, getting touchdowns, um, getting more explosive plays, and converting in short yard situations. And honestly, this was the first game when I, when I was watching – that I'm, I'm starting to get concerned about the offensive line. You know, I thought they played really well against Colorado, and Colorado had kind of a makeshift defensive line with a lot of transfers. It was their first game all playing together. We talked about the the rough patch in the Nichols game. It was mainly in the first half. They were able to establish to run better in the second half. Same with Houston, and it, it, it feels like this is an O-line that gets kind of gets lathered up as the game goes on. Uh, that that might that might be clipped out and, and taken out of context, but they they seem to get going as the game gets on, which that's that's what you want, right? Like you want you want an offensive line that wears on people, that leans on people in the fourth quarter. You're able to really exploit um, you know your advantages up front because they're they're at their best. Um, but the consistency just hasn't been there, and in the first half of games, it seems like teams are bringing a lot of pressure both in the pass game and in the run game, and they're blowing up plays. And so, you know, in the SMU game specifically, there were multiple third and three, third and two uh, situations where they were just trying to run the ball with Imani behind the interior of that offensive line. <clears throat> and uh, you would think, like, with the size they have up front, um, with with Coleman and Lands and Willis Patrick – that would be a strength of this team, but just just too many kind of short yard situations where they're getting beat, um, where there's not enough push up front. I think in pass pro overall they've been okay. Um, I would say they've been above average in pass protection for the majority of the season. You know, I think Chandler's had time to, to process. I also feel like the last, really aside from the Colorado game, and we've discussed this, he's done a better job of using his legs as a weapon. You know, whether that's breaking tackles and, and getting loose um, down the field or just breaking a tight in the pocket. 
um, and making things happen that way. And, and that's something that I feel like will get better as everyone works together and meshes together. Um, but they, they just really don't, they don't have that, that push and that ability um, to, to pick up some critical third downs and in the red zone, like wear down its team and, and get some touchdowns with some of those inside runs. And so I want to see more consistency with that. And it could be just the fact that, um, you know, this is a new, this new group on the O-line. I mean, I, I thought I accounted for this as much as I could during the off season, but Steve Avila is like a day one starter in the NFL. Um, and Wes Harris was super experienced. Uh, Alan Ali is, is a guy that made an NFL roster and played really well for the Frogs last season. So hopefully as the year goes on, they'll get better at that. Another thing that I, I don't want to say I take issue with because this is more of just, I mean, this is what, um, but Kendall really seems to like uh, pulling his guards and tackles in, in some of those short yardage situations. And I don't love that in short yardage because the defense allows me firing off the ball. I feel like slow developing run plays. Now they had like a delayed draw on third and four, I think on their second drive of the game. And then, you know, pulling linemen across the formation um, on plays where the defensive line's firing off and trying to blow the play up. I just, I don't, I don't always see the point in that. Um, and, and I think it's going to struggle to work if you're trying to, you know, be good at the point of attack and open up holes for your running backs. But we'll see how that goes as the year goes on. Um, I think right now they're still playing teams that haven't been able to take advantage of, you know, um, the inconsistencies there with the offensive line. But West Virginia's got a good defense. You know, this is an interesting matchup this week. I'm going to talk about it more in segment three. Uh, West Virginia, they're winning games ugly. Like, it's not the it's not the prettiest brand of football that you're ever going to see. Um, they, they just beat Texas Tech 20-13, to 13, I believe, was the final score in that one. But they're finding ways to win. They did it with their backup quarterback. And Tyler Shuck, the Tech quarterback, uh, broke his leg early in that game, and he was he was out. And so they had to transition to their backup QB as well. But bottom line is, like, they've beaten Pitt uh, and Tech in back-to-back games now, and they've really done it without throwing the football super well. Like, it's been on the back of their defense and C.J. Donaldson, their running back in this offensive line. So uh, this is going to be a physical football game this week, and that is one concern I have. And, SM, like, SMU's better up front. We talked about during the week. They brought in some transfers from Miami and other Power 5 schools. Um, they really wanted to beef up that defensive line and make that the strength of their team. I think they did a good job of doing that. And overall, like, I agree with you, Matt. Like, the, the offense played well, uh, and they're doing a good job of being efficient and moving the chains. you got to finish drives. And, you know, I, I think they, they're they going to have to find a way to take the top off the defense more because things are just so condensed right now. Um, and, and one, I know people kind of roll their eyes at this, but one thing about, like, bend but don't break defenses is it's hard for offenses to put together 14 15 16 play drives because and we i think we've seen this with tcu at times this year maybe one bad play can really set you back you have a four yard loss on second down running the ball it's second and 14 you know you get a good play going on the field and you have a holding call or an illegal shift and now it's first and 15 or first and 20 and if if you're not a team that can get chunk yardage to account for that I think it can be difficult to stay on schedule and move the chains. And so it really puts pressure on your offense to uh, fine tune those details. And I think 
TCU hasn't been great at that this year. Just some of the small things, situational football details that really matter if you're going to be known as a group that methodically drives the ball down the field, not from a pace standpoint, but from a play standpoint, um, and does it in eight, nine, 12 plays instead of four or five or six. Uh, when we come back, um, did does TCU have an issue with some of the transfers on the team? Did they miss on some guys with some evaluations? We'll talk about that next. It's Locked on Horn Frogs. It's your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. If you're hiring people or if you own a small business, you know that talent acquisition, finding the right people for your business can be a high stakes wager. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the right people for your team faster and it's free, which is the best part about it. Uh, you can add your job to their hiring frame and your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring. They have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy for you to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly, that's the key here, you can do this quickly, you can quickly prioritize who you need to talk to uh, and what you need to do to get that position filled as quickly as possible. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that is linkedin.com slash college. We thank LinkedIn for being a sponsor of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. Uh, okay, here in segment two, had another question um, after the post game show. This is on YouTube. It comes from the username uh, Big Easy. He says, "Hey, Stephen, haven't heard anyone address the transfers from Alabama. Seems like they were overhyped." Um, yeah, I'll address that situation. I don't love to. Uh, this is just like a personal thing. I don't love to always single out individual players in criticism because. It's just sort of how I feel about college sports, but I will talk about, you know, I'll talk about this, this situation as far as the Alabama transfers. Um, so Tommy Brockermeyer, who came over as a, a tackle, he was at Alabama for a few years and originally was, you know, the number two in his, in his recruiting class, he was the number two overall player in the nation. Um, I think that was a good pickup by TCU type of player that you want to take a chance on. You know, Tommy didn't really see the field at all at Alabama. Uh, and I'm, you know, my my bad if I didn't kind of make this clear with him, but everything out of fall camp was that he was going to be kind of a project. You know, I don't expect him to play this year. I think this was TCU uh, not really rolling the dice, but saying, okay, here's a guy that hasn't had much production at his previous stop, but we see the physical tools, we see the gifts, the size, the ability, uh, and – you know, he showed a lot of that at the high school ranks. He played at Fort Worth All Saints and did the camp circuit and everything else that big-time recruits do. So, you know, a bunch of evaluators saw him as the best lineman in the country at one point. Uh, it hadn't materialized at the college level, but 
you know, five-star recruits are kind of like first-round draft picks. You'll see guys get waived, and then they get picked up by somebody else. And so uh, they are taking a chance here with Tommy Brockermeyer on, on living up to that potential. But I don't feel like, you know, he's somebody that's going to play much at all this season, if any. And so I, I feel like they're part of the process with him is just getting him integrated to the the um, culture and the uh, brand here at TCU, the football program, get a gauge on where he's at, and then hopefully he'll be a contributor for you down the line. You know, Trey Sanders has had, like, the stat line is not eye-popping. 34 carries, 130 yards, uh, four touchdowns. And I admitted this um, earlier in the season, like Amani Bailey is clearly the lead back for this football team. And Amani's done a great job. He actually, he leads the Big 12 in rushing, if you know, if you're curious, if you didn't know. Um, so he's doing a really nice job for this football team. He's run the ball well. He's your lead back. Trey is obvious, is now at this point, I think he's, he's a good change of pace back. He's your number two guy. Um, maybe his role increases as the season goes on. But, I mean, I think Imani had 26 carries in that game Saturday, 25 carries in the game Saturday is where Trey had six and uh, one reception. He's just, he does have four touchdowns this year, um, had one in the Houston game and then three touchdowns in that Colorado game and was a good red zone option in that Colorado game. You know, busted one outside for a touchdown in a short yardage situation. Uh, I, I think the thing with Trey is, and he's still recovering and, and trying to get his body fully together from that car accident he had a few years ago. Uh, and I, I just I feel like he he lost a lot of the, his explosiveness with that, and he's he's said that you know in interviews, and so uh, it doesn't seem like he has the speed and explosiveness to be a three down back for them. But that's not what they're asking him to do. You know, he's he's just kind of a change of pace guy. Um, I feel like, you know, when people talk about Trey, sometimes we're, we're kind of spoiled with Marty Mercado last year because he was such a big part of the offense. And he was definitely a guy that, like, the times that Kendra was not available, um, he stepped in and did a really admirable job. And, I mean, that playoff game against Michigan, like, he was a huge reason why they won that football game. He was that good uh, running the ball and just being the lead back for – for the football team and the biggest moment of the year. Um, I don't know if Trey can, can do that, but I think he is a serviceable, you know, number two running back uh, that as the year goes on, hopefully we'll get more comfortable. And I've seen more agility and explosiveness from him. He really likes, like he likes hurdling people. That's he did that in the nickel state game. And then he did it uh, this past week against SMU too. The one against SMU didn't net a ton of yards after the hurdle, but it still looked really cool. Um, and and so that agility was there. But I got caught up in the spring game. I really liked his patience and his ability to kind of pick through the line and get yardage. Um, and I've seen some of that in the games as well. But Amani's been really good at that too. I mean, um, as, as I said, he leads the conference in rushing right now. And the biggest thing to me that stood out is just – how he's grown in, you know, getting those those dirty yards, if you want to call it that, where there's not much there, and he just finds a way to stretch out two or three yard runs to at least keep keep the offense kind of humming and keep them on schedule. Um, that's super beneficial. And then finally, JoJo Earl. Um, I really thought JoJo was going to be a huge part of this offense. That hasn't come to fruition to this point. You know, he's had a few opportunities where he's just dropped the football, dropped what probably would have been a touchdown pass. Um, 
against Houston and didn't end up having any catches in that game. Uh, against SMU, had one catch for 12 yards. I know they tried to get him the ball on a little bubble screen, um, and that, that just didn't work. He dropped it. And so I would like to – I think he's an explosive athlete. I would like to see them try to get – him some more opportunities. Maybe it is just bubble screens behind the line of scrimmage stuff or, you know, quick passing game, throw it out to him, see if he can make a move and go. Uh, but some, we, we talked about this all year. The, re, the receivers room is just kind of so jumbled up right now. And uh, it seems like Major Everhard is a guy that's also kind of emerged in that same mold as a really shifty, fast, quick, slot guy who can take the ball and, and make things happen after the catch. Um, and so I still feel like there's potential with Joe Jorrell, but it hasn't, it hasn't materialized yet. He did have that one touchdown against Nickel State. The thing that's that has really had me scratching my head is JoJo just doesn't look super comfortable on punt returns. Uh, and, you know, that was something like Darius Davis was so good at taking the ball to the house. But I think one thing I've noticed this year, and part of it is teams are doing a really good job of executing directional kicks, meaning like they're kicking to one side of the formation. They're trying to kick away from him, keep him from getting the ball in his hands and going. But there have been a few times this year where he's elected to not catch the ball in the air. And, I mean, I understand like it's coming in quickly as a line drive and the, you know, the punt team's bearing down on you. Um, but he'll let the ball go and then it'll bounce and it'll roll for six or seven yards. So, I mean, to answer your question, like I think – JoJo and Trey have not been as much of a, a part of the offense as I would like to see so far. Hopefully that's something that changes as the year goes on. Tommy Brockermeyer, I, I feel like, is just someone who's not going to see the field much this year, but hopefully down the line he has an impact for this football team. When we come back, uh, West Virginia, what do they bring to the table? We'll talk about them next here in Lockdown Horn Frogs. Athletic Brewing Company, it's time for our Game Changer of the Week. Our Game Changer of the Week this week brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company, is Jared Wiley. Two touchdowns, um, just a really good game from the tight end from Temple, Texas. Jared having a good season, putting together a great year so far, and he's a game changer. Athletic Brewing Company is a game changer. They have changed the game in the non-alcoholic beverage space. Um, they have non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good, full flavor, well-crafted. Um, they brew over 50 styles of craft including IPAs, golden sours, and more. It's fit for any occasion. So if you're watching a big game or if you know you're watching your kids game, tackling work or working out, uh, you can enjoy one of their beverages. It's the fastest growing non-alcoholic brewery in the United States. So get on board. Um, go to athleticbrewingcompany.com and use the customer code LOCKDOWN, or promo code LOCKDOWN to get 15% off your online order. Again, athleticbrewing.com. Um, Use that promo code locked on L O C K E D O N at checkout for 15% off. Athletic Brewing Company. They are fit for all times. There we go. All right. Let's let's tackle segment three here. Um, so West Virginia coming to town this week. Note if you're going to the game, it's 7 p.m. kick. And uh, TCU put out the bat signal on Twitter today that they're doing a blackout. They're gonna wear all black uniforms, night conference game. You know, wear your black TCU gear or just, you know, wear something that's black and uh, let's have a blackout. Let's make it a big-time environment for this game against West Virginia. Um, 
Mountaineers, three and one, as I said earlier. The loss, their first game of the season to Penn State, it was 38-15, pretty lopsided. But then after that, I mean, they've handled their business. They beat Duquesne. They beat Pitt 17-6, to which was the first time I was kind of like, okay, West Virginia. Mountaineers were picked to finish 14th in the conference. And then last week they beat Texas Tech. Texas Tech's one and three, which that's hilarious. Uh, Baylor's also one and three, in case you're wondering. But they beat the Red Raiders, and they didn't have their starting quarterback. Garrett Green, who I haven't seen an update today, he was out against um, Texas Tech because of an ankle injury. I believe he was a game-time decision, and they said he would be available if needed, so I would imagine he plays Saturday against TCU. Uh, But he has 402 yards passing this year on 47 attempts, four touchdowns, no interceptions. But here's the thing about West Virginia. They run the ball well, and they have a very experienced, very good offensive line. Um, C.J. Donaldson leads the team with 287 yards rushing. Jalen Anderson also has 125 yards rushing. Overall this year, they have 758 yards rushing and 636 yards passing. This is a physical football team. They want to come downhill and run the ball, um, which I think is actually good news for the TCU defense. Because we've talked about what they struggle with. Teams that spread them out, put them in bad matchups, put their linebackers and safeties in one-on-one situations. You're not going to see a lot of that this week. This is going to be coming straight at you. We're running the football. Uh, West Virginia had their backup in there last week. Uh, Nico Mariocho. Um, I probably butchered his last name. I'm very sorry. I watched the Tech-West Virginia game, but I was watching it on mute on ESPN Plus for the most part. But one thing that stood out to me about that game, uh, I thought their offensive coordinator did a really nice job of game planning that football game. They were pretty limited at quarterback, but – they were using a lot of motion. They were kind of mixing up their run looks and uh, a lot of high percentage throws, like short throws, of the tight end, quick throws, to your wide receivers, and then occasionally take a shot over the top. And so I thought they had a good balance and they only ended up scoring 20 points, but they really controlled that football game. Their defense is legit. It's going to be a nice test for the TCU offense. You know, on paper, it's a game that I think TCU just has the athleticism and the ability that they should, if they capitalize on their opportunities, they should win um, and win by a couple scores if they can score touchdowns in the red zone instead of kicking field goals. But, you know, West Virginia, they, they've they surprised people so far. Um, I think they have a clear identity and a clear game plan. Uh, and, you know, Neil Brown, like a lot of people thought he was down for the count and it was going to be over for him. But this has been a, a nice bounce back for this for this team so far. I mean, they're playing hard. They're playing well. Johnny Hodges uh, was out last week with a, a hand injury. And Sonny Dyke said after the game that he's week to week. So basically they're just kind of evaluating it as it goes on. Shad Banks, I thought, did a really good job against SMU. This is a week, though, where I feel like they would actually miss Johnny Hodges. I know there's been a lot of talk about the defense. You know, you need to get that defense to be more athletic, sideline to sideline, and I think Shad does that well. Um, but Johnny and Jamoy are so good at coming downhill and, you know, having good run fits and making plays. Um, I'd certainly think Shad could handle it, but I just feel like if, if Johnny's available and he's part of this linebacking rotation, that'll be a huge deal. And Sonny said, like, Chad's basically like a third starter. You know, they had two outside linebackers on the field at all times. He's rotating in and out a lot at both those spots. 
Um, but yeah, it's gonna be all hands on deck for this front seven because they're gonna run the football and you know I like the matchup on paper for TCU, but you got to go execute and get it done. And so we'll have plenty on and about West Virginia as the week goes on. We're gonna Matt Jennings on the show Wednesday. I'll have more thoughts for you on Tuesday. It's Locked On Horn Frogs, your tour team every day. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Let's keep getting that subscriber count up. Thank you, and uh, hope you all have a good one.